Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and today I have another very interesting guest. I say this every week, but um, I genuinely am so passionate about all my guests because they've all got such fantastic insights and resources. And today we've got Audrey Stimson. Audrey is an internationally published photographer by trade who has now made it her sole mission to share her story of adult addiction and how she's freed herself after 23 years. So you are outside Memphis right now and she she is now a functional nutrition coach. So you've really turned things around, moved from, you know, one industry to another. And I absolutely love your story. I can't wait to hear more. And you were first prescribed Adderall to treat your ADHD at the age of seven, which is the same year the drug first entered the market, which is making you one of the longest case studies. That's fascinating. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. I I know that this is going to be such an interesting, but also very useful and possibly life-changing conversation for many people. Can you tell me a little bit about the beginning of your ADHD journey? Because there's so many people, especially now that women are getting diagnosed much later on in life, but you, I guess, were in a way one of the luckier ones that had, there was awareness there. Can you tell me a little bit about that beginning bit of your journey? First of all, thank you so much for having me. And I'm happy to be here and share my story. For me, ADHD was something I've lived with my whole life. I always knew that I had it, which was a you know a blessing. I was diagnosed at seven years old. Three different doctors diagnosed me. My mom, my dad took me to so many different people because they wanted to make sure that you know I had ADHD because all the teachers said you know she can't focus. She's She's having more trouble than other, you know, other students in the class. I had a lot of um, tantrum issues and um, emotional dysregulation, executive functioning. I, you know, hygiene was not easy for me. There were things that were just harder. I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression as a child um, that stemmed from that ADHD. And so even though I wasn't making bad grades, they took me to these doctors and they all said that I had ADHD. At that time though, unfortunately, the one thing I realized um, that they do now is now there's a community of those with ADHD and they know what ADHD is and we share all the things and the quirks and the the symptoms that you don't really didn't associate with them back then. They just told me you have hyperactivity and you're you can't focus. 
which is, it's so much more than that. It's a hyperactive brain that won't shut up. And you, you think about so many different things that you're stuck in paralysis and you can't move. And so it's really so much more than just inattentive or hyperactive or both. So that was one thing I do think that has come further along in the years since with most people that have been diagnosed now later in life, they are aware of these like symptoms or these personality quirks that they thought were quirks that were actually attributed to ADHD. So at that time, there was this new miracle drug that they had on the market. Ritalin had already been out and then they came out with Adderall. And they told my parents, who were both very smart people, a lawyer and a nurse, and so they listened to their doctors, and they thought, okay, this is what I want to do for my child. I want them to be able to focus. And it did. It helped me focus. Uh, it helped me navigate in this neurotypical world as a neurodivergent that I never thought that I could live without these drugs because that's what I was told that I needed my whole life. But over time, after 23 years of use, um, it stopped working. And not only did it stop working, my body started rejecting it. And my depression was worse. My anxiety was worse. I turned to, you know, addictions, which is also attributed to ADHD, um, drinking a lot to come down from the high of the stimulant medication, which, you know, for those that don't know, Adderall is a stimulant medication used to treat ADHD. And it is also, it affects your norepinephrine, your dopamine, and your serotonin. And so those neurotransmitters had been affected my whole life. And then all of a sudden I didn't have, you know, it was just my gut stopped working because 95% of your serotonin is in your gut. And so it affects your, your body over time in ways that you would not know until now, because it's been out so long that we now have long case studies on what it does to your body over time. They never said you're going to need to come off of it at a certain age. They just said, to take the meds and I just continued taking them and then they would prescribe something else, an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill. And it became this cocktail of medications that led me into a spiral of I've got to quit. I And I got so sick that I ended up in the hospital for the third time. It was my magic pill. It was what I thought I needed to get out of bed in the morning. I didn't think that I could live without it. And it was what I used to slay as a fashion photographer, going straight from the, the shoot to the after party, to the networking, to, you know, and, and those with ADHD, we all know we have social anxiety. Um, it can be very difficult to do networking. It can be very difficult to hold eye contact as I'm having trouble right now. You can't see me, but you can. <laughs> and so it's very difficult for us. And so like this medication did help me perform. It gave you that dopamine and that, that thing that we need because we do struggle with dopamine deficiency and, um, it's very difficult for our dopamine synapses to work properly. So we need to stimulate that daily. That's why we have reward systems and all these other ways of navigating. So I just went off on a large tangent, but needless to say, I'm free from Adderall after 23 years. It's two and a half years since I've taken the drug. And yeah, that's where I am right now. Hi everyone. So I know I'm not the only woman with ADHD who really does need their sleep, but often struggles to either fall asleep or just stay asleep. And much to my husband's frustration, very often, I have all sorts of rituals to help me get to sleep better, which include a bedside table full of different sleep sprays, earplugs, magnesium tablets, and essential oils. However, the most important element for me to getting a good night's sleep has always been my bedding, especially my pillows. 
And yet there's something new that I've been trying, which has been a real game changer in helping calm my anxious mind and really settle my body in for a good night's sleep. And this is the Silent Night Wellbeing Weighted Blanket. And wow, I am definitely a convert now. So the Silent Night Wellbeing Weighted Blanket has been designed to calm and ease stress and anxiety, and it's got a deep touch pressure stimulation. And this is something occupational therapists have been using for ADHD for years and have reported really positive results. So the weighted blanket can help to relax the nervous system by giving this gentle sensation of being hugged and easing you into a deep and restful sleep. And just wrapping yourself in the blanket increases happy hormones and decreases stress to improve our mood, which so many of us need. So the blanket's weight comes from thousands of natural glass beads stitched within, and it creates an even spread of gentle, soothing pressure. And the weighted blankets are available in three different weights, starting from three kilograms, which is for children, then 6.8 kilograms, and then nine kilograms. And this whole well-being collection of weighted blankets, amazing pillows is available at sleepypeople.com. So as I mentioned, there's lots of other well-being bedding options on sleepypeople.com. And this includes a silent night well-being cool touch pillow, which is just so cooling, especially if you're going through perimenopause or menopause. They've got a well-being lavender scented pillow, which is just gorgeous because lavender can help you fall asleep. They've got a well-being copper pillow, a silent night well-being rebalance pillow and duvet set, and a silent night well-being weighted eye mask, which I've tried and absolutely love. And they really understand how busy life can be. So they've made it as easy as possible with this fantastic range of different pillows and duvets and weighted blankets. So we can really just optimise our sleep. So I want you to head to sleepypeople.com and you can get 10% off the whole Silent Night Wellbeing collection. That's sleepypeople.com. And you need to type in CALM10, that's C-A-L-M-10, for 10% off the full Silent Night Wellbeing collection. I will put all the details in the show notes, but that's sleepypeople.com and use the code calm 10 for 10% off the full Silent Night Wellbeing Collection. And now back to this week's conversation. You know, two years without medication, tell me what's going on in your life. And I don't want you to have to paint it as like rose-coloured or anything like that because I'm not pro or against medication. This podcast is very much trying to enhance people's lives through education, awareness, new insights, new tools, different ideas that they can use to you know improve their lifestyle so I know that there's a lot of people out there that are on medication and it really does help them but I'm just interested to know what the differences are between how you felt then maybe towards the end of the the cycle of medication and and now uh, medication free so towards the end of the cycle of medication um I was severely depressed severely anxious um drinking heavily. I ended up in the hospital for the third time, fainting, having a lot of gut issues, breakouts, joint issues. Um, The Adderall over time had led to leaky gut, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, and a slew of other problems due to the effects on my neurotransmitters and on my gut. We have to have a conversation with our brain 
and our gut's not functioning, it's not happening properly. So that began to happen for me. And I started to realize I've got to quit and I don't know how, I don't know how that's going to happen. And so I used EMDR therapy and nutrition and um, lifestyle modifications with meditation and other tools and tactics like removing myself from the triggers. And, you know, I removed gluten and dairy and some processed sugars to help get rid of the brain frog and to heal my gut. I did a whole reset and elimination protocol that allowed me to realize what things triggered my body differently than others. And it actually helped me function like I was on a medication in a sense, because I train, you know, I, my nutrition, I think for, so 75 to 80% of those with ADHD struggle with gluten sensitivity. And that's something that I didn't know about. When I stopped gluten, the foggy headedness kind of went away. And I'm not going to say that this is all like easy because, you know, I still have executive function problems and I still struggle, but I'm so much more present. I found myself for the first time. I didn't know who I was without meds. I just put on this prepubescent. And so finding myself has been very emotional, very liberating and scary to be like, I don't know. I didn't even know what ADHD was really because I'd been on it so long that I didn't remember who I was without the meds. Yeah. And so for me, that has been a very beautiful and difficult um, discovery phase. I'm now a mom to a 10 month old baby. And that's something that I always was worried about as well, because, you know, you're not recommended to be on ADHD medication while pregnant. Stimulant medication. Let me clarify that. Um, yeah. The, the high end stimulant medications like uh, Vyvanse and Adderall are not recommended while pregnant. And so I always knew that I needed to come off of it because I wanted to become a mom, but I was just so scared. And I know other people out there, or like me, it's what they need to get out of bed in the morning. And it became an addiction for me. I, my body became addicted to it. I really could not get out of bed without it. And that's why I use EMDR therapy to get rid of that need for it. Yeah. I want to hear about the EMDR therapy, but just to backtrack, you know, being a first time mum is really scary and the sleep <laughs> deprivation for the best and most hardy of people is, you know, is really hard going but you've recently come off medication before you got pregnant. You must've been terrified, you know, starting a new journey in your life, medication free, then knowing that you're going to be a mum and all the pressures that come with being a parent and all the executive functioning and the memory and just being organized. Like we have to be organized to a degree because they need their milk and they need, they've got their routine and their sleep. And I mean, I just remember winging it the whole time just constantly like I don't know if they have in in America they have this book called um the Gina Ford book and she's this woman who was like a bible so my eldest son he's 16 now so this was like the bible that people were reading 16 20 years ago I don't think anyone really reads her now but she was a stickler for the most like army led routine for this baby it was like 6:45, do this 6:50, do that and I was like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stick to this routine? Why do I want to just kind of like go off my own intuitive way? This is way before I was, you know, diagnosed with ADHD. But it was like I had this almost physical reaction to this book. Every time I looked at this book, I wanted to puke because it was so against the ADHD brain of like, you know, 
And it took me a while to realize, okay, I do things differently. I don't know why I do things differently, but the other mums seem to have their routine and I don't seem to have this routine in place. And the other mums know exactly when their baby's going to have a bottle. And I didn't know that. And listen, my kids have grown up great and they're fine and they slept, they ended up sleeping. I mean, maybe a bit longer than others, but it's just interesting to see the correlation, isn't it? When we're so used to looking after ourselves. And, and I guess you did that, you know, for 23 years, you were on that medication and you, like you say, you knew that you had to take that pill to get up in the morning and to be the functional adult that you thought you should be. But now you've got a completely different perspective on life and how, you know, who you are as a person. I, I find that fascinating. What have you discovered about yourself that you had no idea about two years ago? Oh, wow. As a mom or in general? I don't know. I mean, I'm just wondering if you've noticed like different, maybe different personality traits or maybe were things suppressed more when you were on the medication? Is Have you got, are you more creative? I'm just I'm so interested. Creative. Yeah. I'm creative. Um, I've definitely noticed a lot more executive functioning issues that I never really noticed before. Um, driving was always hard, but I still struggle with that now I don't like to do things I don't like to do which is most of the ADHDers um, <laughs> we can hyper focus on anything that we love right um, but when it comes to routines even though we need them to survive we don't do well at you know creating them and so that has been one of the most difficult things and just realizing that I wasn't allowed to feel big emotions when I was younger they put me on these meds and like it kind of medicated that. And it also made it so that I wasn't as friendly. And I used to get the friendly award, you know, before I was on medication and I was just so talkative and so like, you know, my parents always said I was like, I had a joy for life, even though I struggled with emotional dysregulation and, and big feelings and not being able to manage that and not being able to focus as well as others on one thing and want to focus on everything. I feel like even though it's a lot feeling that and feeling so deeply, it's also enhanced my relationships. I'm able to be more present. I'm able to have deeper conversations with myself and with others that I wasn't really able to do. It was a hyper-focused drive when I was on Adderall. You know, we already use hyper-focus as an advantage, but when you're on Adderall, it hyper-focuses you even more, but it doesn't tell you what to focus on. You focus on, you could be cleaning your room and you're supposed to be studying. Like, it wasn't always very helpful in a sense because you weren't present and you focused on things that weren't as important as the things that you really should be focusing on. Maybe like spending time with your baby instead of focusing on the routine or whatever it is, you know, you focus so much on something that you lose sight of what's important. And I felt like I didn't focus on what was important when I was on Adderall, even though it did help me do certain things like college when I didn't like classes. If I love a class, that's the thing I think I want most ADHDers to know is finding something you're passionate about. Like if you love something, you're going to do it really well and maybe a little harder and it may take you a little longer, but you'll do it because you want to do it. And I think that most people use drugs like Adderall, obviously to help with our dopamine synapses, but also to do things we don't want to do. I totally resonate with that because, you know, it's school especially and especially in the Western world, we are trained and conditioned to, we've got to be good at everything. It's just got to be a blanket approach to science, art, maths, you know, languages. 
And I see it with my older kids now. So I've got a 16 and 13 year old and you can't be good at everything and you're going to have your passions. And I keep saying to them, just keep focusing on what you're good at. Focus on what you are really interested in and then just try and get through the other stuff because that is where your passion is. And I hope that the education system's changing because it is so important to get kids passionate about learning stuff that's interesting to them. And I know we don't live in this ideal world where, you know, we only do things that we like, but if we can train them from a young age to focus on their strengths, as opposed to kind of like doing everything and having to be good at everything, then we're going to have some great people who are passionate, who want to learn and who maybe don't need to be on the medication that we think they should be on. And and again, I really don't want to dismiss medication because I know how important medication can be for some people. But it's also fascinating to hear from your perspective, the impact it had on your body. Hi everyone, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your incredible support so far with the podcast and I want you to know that all your messages and your reviews and emails and all the different ways you get in touch with me is so appreciated. I read every single one and I just want to thank you for contacting me and letting me know your feedback, um, letting me know what parts of the podcast you liked, what you want to hear more of. And also that I am so grateful that many of you are contacting me for coaching. I'm doing my best to help you all, but I am now on a little bit of a wait list. So I wanted to let you know about some resources I have got for you that you can use straight away. If you head to my website, coachingbykate.me.uk and go to the resources section, you will find some really effective free resources and downloads that you, you know, look at, read, watch straight away. One of them is the Suspect You Have ADHD download. So that is for anyone that is potentially um, curious about and whether or not this is ADHD and your next steps. So it's very, very interesting and insightful information of your next steps towards getting a diagnosis if that is something that you're looking for. I've got a well-being toolkit for ADHD women. Again, lots of great recommendations and tools for you if you want to improve your well-being and just feel a bit healthier on a day-to-day basis. And I also have a three-minute calming technique download. So again, if you need sort of things that you can just reach to straight away to help manage your emotional regulation and just feel calmer, I've got that. And I've also got some workshops that you can download and watch straight away regarding using um, EFT to help with overwhelm, potentially how it can help your ADHD symptoms, and also to help with the intensity of RSD and other ADHD symptoms. So these are all hour-long workshops that are available to you. And then I've got a brand new one that has just been put on the website. This is a pre-recorded workshop, and it's all about thriving with ADHD after your diagnosis. So this is just been put on. It's £33 and it's an hour of me giving you lots of different tools and strategies and guidance as to how you can make the best out of life once you've had your diagnosis and moving forwards more positively. So I really hope these resources um, help you. And of course, if you are looking for one-to-one coaching or group coaching, please do just drop me a message from my website and I will be able to get back to you. Let's get back to the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about the move that you took from being this 
illustrious photographer of this very glamorous lifestyle to, to moving into wanting to train as a functional um, nutrition coach. And what is a functional nutrition coach? There might be um, a lot of my listeners out there that don't know what it is. So with functional nutrition, it's a full approach. It's You see the full person. You don't see the diagnosis. That's kind of the way I like to display it is that you, you're more than just a diagnosis. You Everything matters. All things are important. And it's looking at everything from your past trauma to your daily life, to what you're eating daily, to your triggers, to lifestyle modification. It's, it's everything and it encompasses all of these facets because all of these different things affect how we function. And, you know, there are certain triggers in our life, like a death of a family member, and maybe all of a sudden our symptoms right after that. And it's, it's looking at these timelines of things in our life or like what you're dealing with daily. Um, are you, are you breathing? Are you meditating? Are you taking time to move your body? Are you dealing with too much stress so that your body's so inflamed that you can't rest or digest because you're not in a parasympathetic response and you can't just look at diet. It's not about diet. It's about the functional approach of looking at the whole person and every single aspect of their lives. Yeah, it's so important. And, you know, I was just thinking about all the different things that happen in our lives that can trigger our ADHD even more, you know, and I know that can happen, that it can exacerbate certain times in your life. And it's important to recognize that as well, because sometimes we kind of think, what is, what's happened? Oh my God, all of a sudden my memory's just gone, or I literally can't function like I used to. And we don't connect those dots. And Like pandemic. Yeah. And I think that that's no surprise that the uh, diagnoses in adults, especially in the UK, have gone up in, for ADHD. There's a, a massive backlog in the NHS for appointments. And I know that for women later on in age, you know, and I think also menopause triggers the symptoms even more hormones. Progesterone, a lot of different issues um, after 40s, after you turn 40, it gets, you know, those symptoms can be even more pronounced. Yeah. And so when we look at ADHD and we only see medication as a solution, it can't be the case, which is why I wanted to start this podcast, because for me as a health and well-being coach, but also because I, I use EFT and I see people come in, you know, my clients come to me and there's always trauma throughout their lives. There's always something, whether it's with a capital T or a small T, no one has come through life and scarred and bruised. There's always been something. And we try and go back and it's looking at that full picture. And I love how you mentioned that you used EMDR to help you come through, I guess, the addiction and, and come out the other side medication free. Can you explain a little bit about that process and has EMDR helped your ADHD, do you think? I do believe EMDR has helped my ADHD. I first um, used it to get rid of the need. It, you know, it targets the amygdala and relaxes the amygdala where all of our memories are stored and allows those memories to be changed through bilateral stimulation. Eye movement desensitization and reprogramming is what EMDR means. But it's not just eye movement. It can be done with bilateral stimulation and other ways. Um, we use tappers in my hands that stimulated the pressure points. And um, I was asked to get into the memory of being high on Adderall. And I got into that memory and he turned on the sensors. And once he turned on the sensors, all of these memories flooded in, even the ones where I drank or I used other drugs because the Adderall triggered a lot of those behaviors. 
um, and the need to come down. And so all of these memories popped up. And then once they stopped, I was, the sensors were turned off. And the next day I woke up and didn't want to reach for my pills. And I literally couldn't get out of bed without them before. I'm not going to say there's no withdrawal and there was no depression afterwards because there is hedonia, which is a lack of joy for life after quitting stimulants. Immediately after there are some side effects, but it got rid of most of the withdrawal symptoms of like, oh my God, I need it. Or I craving it. I craved it and I don't crave it anymore. I don't think about it at all. <laughs> and for me, that was huge. But it was more than just getting rid of the need for Adderall. It was also about healing my gut. Um, it was also about separating myself from the triggers and leaving Manhattan for me. Um, I left and retreated to nature and started meditating. And I started really focusing on what I needed and what I wanted in my life. Adderall taught me all these things. that It taught me things that I thought I needed certain things to be happy, but it was really the Adderall telling me that I wanted these things. And I didn't actually want these things. It made my body dysmorphia worse, made my anxiety worse, it made my depression worse. Um, and so I was so hyper-focused on my flaws that I didn't really do well emotionally. And getting off of that allowed me to let a lot of that go. And I'm not going to say that Adderall caused all that. It heightened it. Because ADHD, a lot of symptoms are, you know, anxiety and body dysmorphia, and there's a lot of correlation between the two, as well as trauma and ADHD. If you've ever read Dr. Gabor Mate's book, um, my mother was going through extreme trauma when I was born and in utero in the first years of my life. And so that really, I believe, correlates with my diagnosis. And I do think it's passed down as well. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I've read a lot on the subject. Yeah, no, I agree with you and all of that. I do believe this, the traumas involved, but I also believe in the genetics. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes and my family. It's prolific through, you know, to like great grandparents. And yeah, it's so interesting what you said about leaving Manhattan, because it. what's weird is I, I met my husband really young and I met him straight from university. And at the time, my friends were all moving to London. And they were getting these fast paced jobs in London and working in the media, TV, PR. And he just left London to come back to Manchester, which is where I live. And he said, I can't go back to London um, because I've got this new job. And he said, this is where I'm staying now. So you can either go to London, we'll have a long distance relationship or you stay in Manchester. And this intuitive nudge told me this is way before, you know, a diagnosis. But I, I just knew that London was going to be too fast paced for me, even though I'd take I'd had time there. I'd done some work experience. I'd spent weekends there. But I always felt this like desire to just leave. Two or three days was just enough. My nervous system couldn't hack it. And then I spent a few years of our marriage almost like resenting him because I could see my friends having all this fun, partying and traveling and just having, and I got pregnant young. I had a baby at 25 and there I was in this kind of provincial town and breastfeeding and my friends were texting me at 3am. They were getting home and I was doing the middle of the night feed. But I look back now and I think, thank God I didn't live in London because I don't think I would have coped. I'm really grateful because I think I knew for my emotional well-being that I needed to live in a quieter area. From the age of 25, I knew the power of a daily walk, like I walked my baby. 
So I walked, walked, and I've walked all my babies, like probably that to my detriment because they never slept in their cots because I was walking them during the day. But, and then I got dogs. So I've, I've never not had a daily walk for, um, you know, 16, 17 years. Like very rarely would I miss, maybe once or twice a month would I miss a daily walk. And I believe that these little things save us. And like you say, you know, you left Manhattan and you're in a quieter area now. And I guess that nature for you was a massive part of your healing journey. Am I right? I, alongside the meditation as well and the mindfulness. Yes. And I met, I go on a walk every day with my baby as well. Also, those with ADHD have some vitamin deficiencies, certain ones. You can you know research them in detail, but vitamin D is one of them. So getting outside um, is very helpful. And, you know, everybody, most people need vitamin D, obviously, but it's very helpful for those with ADHD as well as the increase in serotonin. And that's our happiness chemical and getting that going. It also increases dopamine, which is like our rewards and it, it, it helps us get more things done. I work out every morning, whether it's just a small Reiki infused Pilates, like stretching session, or if it's weight training, or if it's whatever I can get in. For me, that's my therapy in the morning and it actually increases my dopamine and helps me get my day started. And I take it as like, I look at it like taking a pill, like I'm taking my pill and because that's what Adderall did. It increases your dopamine and your serotonin and your norepinephrine. And so I try to do something every morning that increases that. And then I'll go on my walk too, which is kind of like another, you know, method for, but the, the diet, the diet is key adding in nutrients, um, that you may or may not be deficient in and trying to um, see what are the non-negotiables, which, you know, in functional nutrition and functional medicine are gluten, dairy, and sugar and seeing which ones may affect you, especially if you have an already compromised digestive system, it's easier for those gluten proteins to make its way through your gut, um, like um, permeable and into your bloodstream and your bloodstream sees that as being um, a foreigner and it starts to attack itself. And so that is something that my body had started doing because I had leaky gut due to excess use of amphetamines as well as alcohol and, you know, the other medications that they prescribed to counterbalance the issues with the Adderall. And so over time, those drugs really did a number on my stomach. And many people that I've coached about, you know, 40 plus people, most of them have this is, I want to make a statement. This is not saying that Adderall causes this, but most people that I have coached have developed autoimmune issues due to the use of long-term stimulant medications and Hashimoto's, um, celiac. And, and I don't know if that that's because they really were gluten sensitive their whole life. And that was a symptom of ADHD or attributed to ADHD. And it could have caused that, or it could have been exacerbated by a trigger which is like a medication or something that, so you have these predispositions, right? These genetic predispositions. And then you have the, um, the, the continued use of putting something in your body that isn't supposed to be there. And then you have a triggering event. And a lot of times I feel like the Adderall, like a virus can be a triggering event. Like say you get like Epstein bars, like a three-year-old or something that can trigger an autoimmune to turn on. And then it stays on. And then you can only help calm it down. It's not really ever, you know. And so now I, I stay on an autoimmune protocol. I can't eat certain foods um, without getting ill. I, I do, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free. And I just want others to not 
to know that that it is possible that something like this can develop over time. I wish that it had been told to me because it's really affected me long term for the rest of my life. I have to eat a certain way. And I don't, I know that I have predisposition, but I do believe that these medications over time and my lifestyle choices affected the on switch for autoimmune. Yeah. And I know that there is a connection, isn't there, between ADHD and autoimmune conditions, fibromyalgia these type of things. So there's lots of different sort of comorbidities that come alongside ADHD, a whole host of them, which is delightful. Right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, isn't ADHD just not enough? Like, do we have to have all the other the other stuff alongside? Yeah. Some, you know, some people struggle with like autism and ADHD. Some people struggle with ADHD and OCD. I have friends that struggle with both and it, it's a lot. There are a lot of comorbidities. And so it's not hundred percent sure whether or not, you know, what, which came first, the chicken or the egg. But I do know that it can exacerbate these symptoms over time. And I think that those with ADHD might, you know, a lot of those with ADHD have issues with IBS and a lot of it is sensitive to, you know, our amygdala stores, these memories of say like we were bullied or something as a child or something happened. We had, you know, this upset feeling in our tummy at the same time or our solar plexus or whatever happened at that moment, body-wise, it was also stored as a memory, not just like our reaction, but our, our physical sensations. And so then maybe if we have something later in life, it's a similar trigger. All of a sudden, we're upset to our stomach. And that's why it's so helpful to be mindful, to be present, to meditate, to nurture your body with good foods and good vitamins like spinach and greens and and adding in alkalizing foods, adding in, you know, good B vitamins and omega-3s and, and really helping your body get into that parasympathetic response. It's, it's just so key. Also, the meditation, I mean, the Reiki-infused Pilates that I did, Tandy Gutierrez, one of my friends, she has um, celiac, a thyroidectomy, and she did this whole protocol. She wrote this, she's a fitness instructor, and she came up with movement that's like, 30 minutes and it's Reiki infused Pilates based around the cycles of the moon. And it's very gentle. And for those with autoimmune, because with those with autoimmune can't do too much or your, your cortisol's too heightened. And then your body actually does the opposite effect and it goes into sympathetic response and it starts attacking itself. So you have to be very careful and, and really cleansing the body of the anxiety and the trauma that's stored. There's trauma that's stored in our bodies. And so she focuses on that with movement. And that helped me get rid of a lot of my withdrawal. And it helped me get rid of a lot of the anxiety in my body. Because I couldn't do hard workouts or anything like that after coming off of meds. It was very difficult for me to get out of bed at first. And so I did these gentle movements. And it got, got rid of that withdrawal and that uh, fatigue and that anxiety. And I think it's really key to do something similar to that. I mean, it cannot just something that nourishes your body. You don't have to treat working out like treat it like I'm going to do something good for my body today. And for me, that was very healing. Yeah, that's it sounds beautiful that um, I'd love to know more. And I totally agree because I do Kundalini yoga. And that for me is just that's changed my life because it's not yoga as you know it. It's got meditation, mindfulness, chanting, singing, rest. And it just the combination 
is one of the most powerful things that I've probably done for my anxiety and my ADHD. And I, I won't miss it for the world. Like literally I will move heaven and earth. So I don't miss that class. I have it once a week and I offset it with different types of movement. But it's, what's interesting is that I've never drawn to anything like super fast paced. I think I must kind of know my nervous system that anything that is increases my heart rate to a really high level is something that doesn't agree with me. So, you know, I, I hope, you know, that the, the movement and the exercise that I do with the walking and the weight training and yoga is is enough to balance it all out. It feels like it is. And, and I think maybe that's something to say is that do what's right for you. Like you clearly knew your body and you've known the cycles and you could see how you were when you came off the medication, the stimulants, and you've been able to get, you gave yourself that forgiveness that you couldn't do anything fast paced and you let yourself rest and almost like reset. And it's okay. It's okay to do the movement that works for you if it's helping you, if it's helping your anxiety and it's helping you feel calmer and more balanced and all the things and helping you sleep better, then carry on doing it. I think we sometimes feel that we should be doing certain exercise. Yeah. And I used to do a lot of HIT, a lot of high intensity interval training. I do maybe once a week, a small 30 minute session just to get my heart rate up. But I used to do a lot of heavy running, a lot of really intense workouts and I would be swollen and my cortisol would be so high that I was in a sympathetic tone and I wasn't able to rest or digest. And I actually ended up, it made me, you know, more ill and it was, it was not helpful for me. And I do better now, um, with less than, you know, weight training is great because it's not high impact on our nervous system, but I feel like the weight training that the kind of yoga, um, the yoga nidra yoga, what is it that you do? Kundalini. Kundalini yoga, the, um, like Pilates is great. And yeah, I think it's just really key to know your body and know what's best for your body. Uh, also, you said chanting, and that's very good to stimulate the vagus nerve, which we really want to do because, you know, the vagus nerve runs from one of our brainstem down to our gut and to have that stimulated, obviously stimulates the parasympathetic tone and getting us resting and digesting. <laughs> yeah, the vagus nerve is so important. I'm, just, I'm fascinated by it and, you know, the whole thing. And I feel like I'd love to do a podcast just talking about, you know, the connection between the vagus nerve and the ADHD, because I mean, I, I swim in cold water and I know it's fantastic for anyone that suffers with sort of any um, depression or anxiety or anything like that. But they, they do say that the stimulation of the vagus nerve, when you plunge yourself into cold water, which is why if you don't fancy going into a, a cold lake in the middle of December, go and have a cold shower in the morning, just have like a two minute cold shower, or even just wash your face in freezing cold water for 30 seconds. You know, these little things can just have um, you know, even if you do that once a day, every day, I think you'd probably notice a difference yeah. uh, in sort of stimulating that vagus nerve. And singing and, you know, chanting and the, um, that stimulates the, the vagus nerve. So. Oh, well, tell me, I know that you are writing a book, you've written a book. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that's about? So it is a step-by-step process of how I became Adderall free, but also the background and the story and support from other physicians and doctors regarding ADHD, regarding nutrition and how I, it's the protocol I wish I'd had. It's what I wish I'd 
not only help get off of stimulant medications and thrive with ADHD, but to thrive with ADHD using behavioral modification. And I feel like I'm like the big sister that I wished I'd had that was like, it's going to be okay and you can do this. That's what this book is for me. And um, I, I write all about EMDR therapy and I have doctors and physicians that are also in the book speaking to the the behavioral modifications that I've used to um, better support everyone on their journey. It sounds amazing. And do we know when this might be published, why it might come out? It's it's a process, as you know. Uh, The book process is long. It takes a bit of time. (laughs) But um, it's definitely coming. And right now I do have a blog as well as a private Facebook group to help others that are struggling and want to come off. They can talk to others that are going through the same thing. I have a free video on my site uh, where I explain EMDR therapy and how it worked for me, as well as many podcasts that I've been on to help support, um, but further support after listening to this podcast. If anyone wants to you know, listen further or contact me on Instagram at, at Audrey Stimson, I'm always like available through DM. To be honest, it's really like something that I'm so passionate about because I really, really want to help people. And I feel like it's not about writing a book or an ego thing or, you know, building this big practice. I'm doing this because I like, I feel like I'm called to do it and um, it can get tearful thinking about it, but it's, it's something I wish I had only known um, earlier and I hope to be able to be that coach in that I see myself more as a healer in a lot of ways as a sympathetic person and a very empathetic person and I feel things so deeply and I want others to feel seen and heard and know that they're not alone I think what you're doing is incredible and I know that there must be so many people out there that uh, must be so grateful for your help and your guidance and and I hope that you know anyone listening to this who's drawn to asking you more questions can get in touch and I think your book as well will be um, something that will be read and and you know listen it's a hard one with medication I've got a daughter that is on medication and I'm listening to this and I'm trying to make judgments and trying to do the best for her that I can but knowledge is power and awareness and and it means that I can look at it from a different lens as well because I've seen my brothers on medication for a long time who knows if I was offered medication 10-15 years ago maybe I would have taken it I don't know but it's such a personal choice but what you're offering your story and now your training is giving people options and maybe 23 years ago you know your parents didn't have options and there wasn't this level of expertise and you know anyone that's been on medication for a long time and is now opening their eyes to this whole new you know holistic way of of treating ADHD might realize there are other ways that they can thrive so I think what you're doing is really really important and I just want to thank you and hopefully when the book comes out we'll get you back on And we can talk more about the different chapters and definitely about EMDR, because I think that um, that's really fascinating as well. So, Audrey, thank you so much. What's your website so people can find you? It's AudreyStimson.com, A-U-D-R-E-Y-S-T-I-M as in mother, B as in Paul, S-O-N.com. 
Amazing. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that's all that information's in the show notes. But thank you so much for for coming on and telling us your story because that was really fascinating. Thank you so much, Kate. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.